morning. Kind of cool to walk out to uh, my dad's music. Kind of sweet. My dad made that song, for those who don't know. Kind of cool. Kind of like a WWE wrestler walking out to cool music or something. Um, pretty rad. Um, so I wanted to uh, get us on the right Bible page. We're going to be on page 1043 in the Bibles underneath your seats basically all morning. So 1043. So go ahead and you can open up to that. Um, hope everyone had a good New Year and a great Christmas time. Um, our family did, despite some of this weather reminding us of all the other places we lived in. This was supposed to be the better part of living here in Nevada. <laughs> the, no snow and frozen tundras, unlike South Dakota and Chicago and Buffalo and Massachusetts and all the other places we lived in. Um, but anyway, for those who don't know, my name is Dave Class. I'm the student pastor here, um, and I'm very glad to be speaking to you all this morning. So, Israel. Israel is kind of the center of our Bible, geographically speaking, and it is known mainly for two big bodies of water. So in the north, you have the Sea of Galilee, as you can see, very beautiful. Um, it is, honestly, though, kind of more of a lake. It's very tiny. It, to call it a sea, we kind of think of it as something big, but it's about 13 miles long and seven and a half miles wide. And fishing if you read the New Testament, you'll see a lot of this. It's kind of a big deal in the Sea of Galilee. Um, and there are over 22 different kinds of fish to catch. And you can see all the vegetation, and there's lots of fruit and things like that on the shore. It is really just a beautiful body of water. Then if you go 60 miles south, you will have the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea is a lot larger. It's 47 miles long, nine and a half miles wide. And it is the lowest point on the entire earth. So every day, approximately two million gallons of water flow into the Dead Sea and not a drop of it goes out. It all goes in there. And amazingly, the Dead Sea contains 30 grams of salt per liter. So because of that, even though it's been there for thousands of years, no one has ever drowned in it, ever. Because there's so much salt and so many minerals, no matter who you are or how you're shaped, you go in there, you're going to bob around and float around. So as you can see from the pictures too, not a lot of vegetation, no life. The shore is completely barren. All you're going to be able to find is basically tumbleweed. So these two bodies of water provide a very stark contrast between something which is brimming with life and something which is showing nothing but death. And that physical geography of Israel is a great portrait of the spiritual reality of humanity. Just as there is one sea that continually breathes life and fruitfulness, there is another sea that breathes death and uselessness. And in the same way, there are two types of people, the person who was in Adam and the person who is in Christ. Now, out of all the people who have ever lived, these two men, Adam and Christ, stand out from the rest of humanity. As real but also representative men, all of human history revolves around these two men, what they did and what also flowed out from what they did. Now, if you know these two guys, you can essentially grasp the message our Bible has to say to us. So our passage today is going to be Romans 5, 12 through 21. And Paul wants to compare and contrast 
the work of Adam with the work of Jesus Christ so that we can understand that what Jesus did was far greater than what Adam did. That's going to be a huge part of today's message. So I would say that's kind of the whole thing in a nutshell. So Romans uh, 5, 1 through 11, that uh, Pastor Derek preached on before Christmas, kind of made us take a break. The Apostle Paul in that passage told us about the immediate results and the benefits of being justified by faith, being made right with God. However, we also receive something far greater and deeper. So today's passage, which is right after that, 12 through 21, goes on to tell us that our entire status, our entire status, our existence is changed. We used to be in Adam, but we are now in Christ. And that brings us to our passage, starting in verse 12. Our main gist is going to be all humans are in Adam. All human beings are in Adam. So in those first three verses, Apostle Paul explains the result or consequence of Adam's sin. Serving as our representative, Adam went on to sin, and his sin was applied to every person who has ever lived or will ever live. Paul summarizes and explains this thought in the first verse this morning, verse 12. So Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that's Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So our passage today serves as a conclusion to what Pastor Derek preached on a few weeks ago, but it's also a good preface to what we're going to be sharing throughout the rest of this series for chapters 6 through 8. But Paul begins to compare Adam and Christ right there in verse 12, and he breaks off his sentence at the end of 12. And you don't really have to be like an English major to realize that that verse 12 is not really a full, complete thought or sentence. If we are to understand the flow of Paul's argument that he's making here, we must realize that verses 13 through 18a, which is just the first part of 18, are kind of like a big parenthesis. And uh, verse 12 is kind of picked up again at the end of 18, 18b. Um, So we're going to read it that way. We're going to, we'll go back and we'll read it all, but we're going to read it that way for right now. We're going to skip 13 through 18a. So follow along in your Bibles. We're going to do 12, and then we're going to skip to the last part of verse 18. So it says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. See how that flowed kind of nicely? Um, yeah, he, there was just a big parenthesis there. So returning to that verse 12, Paul writes that sin entered into the world through one man, and then it spread to all mankind. And Paul wraps up that verse with the important phrase, because all sinned. Paul is saying here that spiritual and physical death came to all people when Adam sinned. His sin was applied to our spiritual accounts. Whether we like that or not, the Bible is very clear that Adam was our representative head. And when he fell, we all fell. Now, you may get upset not like that and say, well, I don't want Adam to represent me. Well, 
kind of look at it this way. You may not have voted for the president in the last election, but if your kids are in the military, he could still send your son or daughter to war because he is your representative. You may not agree with everything your senators do, but they still represent you in Congress. And if you don't like political illustrations like me, um, how about one from the sports world? What happens when a member of your favorite football team jumps off sides? Is only he penalized? No, the entire team is, right? The entire team is penalized for that one player's infraction, or in this analogy, sin, because that player represents a larger group. He is not just acting for himself, and that is exactly what Paul is talking about here. He is teaching the idea of representation. And the consequences of Adam's sin came to bear on all of humankind. So again, you might object, well, then I don't like the doctrine of representation. It's not fair, and I don't want to be represented by Adam. But the truth is, and we all know this in our hearts, if you had been in the Garden of Eden instead of Adam, you would have committed the very same sin. We all would. I would. All of us would have. Also, the moment each of us reject the doctrine of representation, we're doing something pretty bad. (laughs) That's not a good thing. We have rejected one of the most wonderful doctrines in the entire Bible. Because although Adam was our representative, Christ is our representative as well. So not only did Adam act on our behalf, but thankfully Christ acted on our behalf too. And I have never heard a believing Christian say, well, I don't want Christ to represent me. (laughs) I don't think that's something we've ever said. I don't want the sinless son of God to represent me. It's not fair. Well, the thing is, it isn't fair. It is fair for Adam to represent us because we are sinners and we would have sinned the exact same sin, but it isn't fair for Christ to represent us, the perfect sinless son of God. But he did so anyway, and thankfully so. And what Adam did was the worst thing that ever happened, brought sin and death into the world. But what Christ did was the best thing that ever happened. Although Adam served as our representative and we now have inherited original sin, we are every bit as guilty as he is. Now, original sin um, is the doctrine that the moral corruption that we have is a consequence of Adam's sin. And what it results in is this sinful disposition, basically, in just us creating a habit of sinful behavior in our lives. We are prone to sin because we are born in it. Notice how, for those of you who have been around kids or raised kids, you had to sit them down and teach them how to do everything. But did you ever have to sit them down and teach them how to lie to you about eating the cookies you told them not to? No. Um, We're born that way. So we are guilty sinners because Adam sinned, but we are also guilty sinners because we all have sinned. We are condemned on both accounts. We cannot blame Adam alone. We have to blame ourselves as well. And then in verses 13 and 14, Paul goes on to explain the result of man's sin, even apart from the law that God gave us. So let's read those, verses 13 14. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet, which kind of means like despite that, Death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So Paul here explains that even before the law was given to us, which is in Exodus 20 to Moses, sin and death exercised power over humanity. 
Sin resulted in death even before the commands of the law had defined exactly what sin was. Even when sin goes unrecognized or goes unacknowledged, it still has an effect. So what does Paul mean when he's talking about how sin is not taken into account where there is no law? He means that sin is there, but it is not counted as a legal matter. It's not liable to legal punishment. In other words, where there is no law, sin is not counted as punishable. Adam's sin was a transgression of an explicit command of God. God stated a one-point law. You shall not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. That's in Genesis 2.17. And Adam went on to break that direct command when he sinned. And after Adam, God did not give any more explicit commands until the time of Moses. And you're talking a long period there between those two guys. And although during that whole time people sinned, their sins were legally tolerated. Yet, people from the time of Adam to the time of Moses still died. Why did they die then? They, they had not broken an explicit command to which the death penalty was attached to like Adam did. The answer is that people died because they had sinned in Adam. They shared Adam's punishment because he was serving as their representative. Now, before we move on, something that's really fascinating. Um, notice the phrase, death reigned in verse 14. Death reigned. Because of Adam's sin, death reigned. And I want to show you what that means in Genesis chapter 5. So the fifth chapter in our entire Bible. In Genesis 5, we see this book. Um, it's the book of generations of Adam. And in it, you will see paragraph after paragraph of, okay, this guy lived, and he lived this long, and he had this kid, and he did this. And each grouping, over and over like that, over and over again, ends with the same phrase. And then he died. He lived this long, he did this, and then he died. He lived this long, he did this, and then he died. We were created to live, but God warned Adam that if he was to sin, he would surely die. And when Adam sinned, death entered humanity and it would reign forever. Unless something miraculous and somehow even more powerful took place. And this is the good news that the Apostle Paul turns to beginning in verse 15. That all believers are in Christ. All believers are in Christ. So in verse 15, Paul explains that God's grace is readily available to every person who places his or her faith in Jesus Christ alone. The promise of eternal life is listed as a free gift. In fact, the word um, grace and the related word gift occur 10 times in verses 15 through 17. Paul was really trying to make his point very, very clear that salvation is free to us. In verses 15 through 17, Paul contrasts the work of Adam and the work of Christ. And these three verses are some of the richest I think, in our entire Bible. So, verses 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. 
For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So that word, B-U-T, but, brings out the many contrasts between Adam and Christ. Adam's trespass brought death to all of mankind, but God's gift brought life to all who accept it. The principle found in this verse is the principle that saves us from hell, breaks us free from the chains of our sin. And it is some of the sweetest words you could ever hear, is that grace is more powerful than sin. Specifically, God's grace is more powerful than your sin. So note the important expression, the gift. So justification, salvation, is a free gift. Now, it's not cheap though, right? Because it was purchased at an infinite cost. It's like I can get free gifts to me at Christmas, but someone paid for them, right? They were bought. So it's free to us, but it's not cheap. In uh, verse 16, Paul introduces this four-point contrast. First, we have the gift of God versus the one man's sin. And then we have the judgment versus the gift. And then we have one sin versus many trespasses. And number four, condemnation versus justification. So the word condemnation refers to the punishment following a judicial sentence. And in verse 16, we learn that the result of Adam's sin was the condemnation of all men. But through the death of one man, the many can now experience justification, being made right with God. So finally, in verse 17, Paul tells us that Adam's sin brought death into the world, while Christ's death brought life into the world. And we should notice, though, that Paul states that this life is only available to those who receive. So this passage does not teach universalism. The belief that kind of everyone goes to heaven, doesn't really matter what you believe in, all roads lead to God, right? That type of stuff. In fact, it teaches the exact opposite. It clearly emphasizes the necessity of belief specifically in Jesus Christ alone. So if we believe the gift of justification, Paul states that we will reign in life through Jesus Christ. And that right there is the goal of grace, to reign in life. It's not just justification, but it's sanctification. So the goal of the Christian life is not just to get us to heaven, justification, right, being saved, but also to bring heaven down to earth through sanctification, which is the fun, slow, often painstaking process of becoming more like Jesus Christ. That is the goal of the Christian life. So in verses 18 through 21, Paul summarizes the basic argument he began in our first verse today, verse 12. And in these four verses, he makes comparisons between, again, Adam and Christ. And he contrasts between sin and grace. So Paul now completes that comparison uh, that he began in verse 12. So verse 18 says, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So Paul concludes 
this paragraph there by commenting on the purpose of the law and nature of God's grace in verses 20 and 21. So verse 20 says, Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the first part of 20, Paul states the law came in so that the trespass might increase. What that is, is that the law reveals our inability to achieve God's standard. In this context, though, the word increase doesn't mean to multiply or grow larger. It kind of means something they probably didn't have a word for back then, which is to highlight. So really what it says is the law served to highlight our desperate need. And that prepares us to admit our need for God's grace in our lives. The greatness of God's grace leads Paul to conclude this passage with uh, fervency. At the beginning of this section, sin and death were what was reigning. But now we see that grace is reigning. And although sin had its day and it reigned in death, grace will have final victory through Christ's righteousness. Because grace is more powerful than sin, the result is eternal life. Through the free gift of God's grace, he empowers us to live for him. And by condemning the human race through one man, Adam, God was then able to save the entire human race through one man, Jesus. So if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, a Christian, then you have to understand you are no longer in Adam. You are now in Christ. You are a new person with a high calling. And if you have not received the gift that God is freely offering to you, then you are still an Adam. But you can receive the free gift by trusting in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And when you do, you will no longer be trapped in that sea of death. You will escape the consequences of Adam and will have a life filled with far greater purpose and worth living that abundant life that is only possible through an abiding relationship with Jesus. So in the beginning of the human race, Adam fell. He fell from a pretty great height, from sinless glory, made in the image of God, and Adam decided to rebel against God. And he fell into sin and death and judgment. And in this terrible fall, he brought with him the entire human race. But Jesus also left the heights of heaven, which is always a crazy concept to me. And he decided to come here. He descended to the earth to become a man. And he lived a sinless life and then willingly went to the cross to die for all of our sins, all the sins of Adam's fallen race. And on that third day, he rose again. And in his resurrection, he made it possible for all to rise again and live forever. Now, you cannot help being in Adam, but you can help remaining in Adam. So today, ask yourselves, will you remain in Adam and death, or will you believe in Jesus and live? Eternal life is a free gift, and it is available to all of you. Don't let Adam's fall and your own fall keep you from missing out on Jesus' great work on your behalf. Receive God's free gift of grace today. 
and understand and know that God's grace is more powerful than your sin. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for being a powerful, loving, graceful God. We are so undeserving of every single thing you give to us, but most of all, your grace, Lord. How you great, your grace just pours down on us all day, every day, and in ways that we don't even notice, in the small things even. Even a small infraction, a small sin, leaves us lower than your perfect standards of holiness, Lord. And you knew that. And that's why you left your seat in heaven to come down and do the work on our behalf. We couldn't do it on our own. And you loved us enough to come and do that for us, God. Help us to see that in the times where we're beating ourselves up because we're doing things we should not be doing, we are purposefully sinning, and we feel like that makes us stained and we can't come into your presence and we can't come back to you and we can't speak to you. Just give us that hit upside the head and say, no, my grace is far more powerful than anything you could ever do. I've done all that work for you. Come to me. God, we thank you for saving us. I pray for everyone in this room that has not taken that free gift offered to them, that they would do so today. They could come talk to me or any of our other pastors after the service. We would love to talk to them about what you have done for them. We thank you, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.